Welcome to the Auto Entrepreneur Podcast, the only podcast that gets to the heart of what it takes to run the world's best auto businesses. This is a show for real auto shop owners and real car enthusiasts who want to learn from the best auto entrepreneurs in the industry. So if you're ready for real stories from auto entrepreneurs knee deep in elbow grease, then stick around. This is the Auto Entrepreneurs Podcast. Put down your wrench and get ready to listen in as your host, Chris Von Wilpert, talks to one of the world's best auto entrepreneurs as they reveal how they have tuned and customized their business to run faster than the rest of the pack. Take it away, Chris. Yeah, so when was it that you first um, started Mobsteel? Uh, what date did we first start Mobsteel? Um, yeah, I guess just what, what year did you guys start in? Um, man, that's... That's a tough one. I think we started Mob Steel back in maybe '02. I think back. I know it's probably important date. I should remember, but <laughs> uh, you know the last the last twelve years or so have just been such a blur, man. I have to go to my phone and look for it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. And um, how did you first get started back then? Um, twelve years ago, Mob Steel was just a, a hobby, but uh, you know, the economy uh, kind of dictated. Know, what what I was doing with my time and um, you know as, as uh, a lot of the other industries especially being uh, tied to a lot of the automotive segments right here in Michigan by Detroit yeah um, you know when, when the economy started to plummet and, and things started to fail and business started to close up and, and businesses started to slow um, you know I found myself you know faced with some, some decisions that, that I could make for myself uh, at that time before decisions were made for me yeah and um, you know basically at that time we took, took my hobby and started to make a business out of it Fortunately, you know, when, when we started and built our first car and you know, went to our first show and flung some t-shirts out of the trunk, there was a, uh, a positive enough reaction because it was so different that you know, we knew we were onto something. And, um, yeah. you know, it was just, just uh, the little signposts, you know, they weren't big ones. They were just, you know, little signs that said, you know, the, you know you're headed in the right direction. Yeah. Um, you know, keep going. And, and uh, there was a lot of signs that told us to stop, too. A lot of people, um, you know, along the way when we first got started would say, this is a dumb idea, you know, but... If you're not making, uh, you're not making uh, yourself some critics, and, and you know, if you're believing everybody, you're doing something wrong. You know, I, I believe that. So, yeah, you know, I know, I know that we we're doing something different, some things people haven't seen. And so, I know, I know we we're onto something. Just, you know, where did we go from there? Okay, cool. And back back at that stage, back in 2002, when you were starting out, was it was it just yourself, or was it did you start it with someone else, or how did it kind of work? Um, well, when I when I first got started. Uh, Originally, as a hobby, you know, yeah. we we had uh, a small little space, you know, it's a couple hundred bucks a month and at a garage door, and we just kind of would go in there and do metal work, and we we're all fabricators, and, yeah. um, you know, just kind of horsed around, and I was a car guy, and I had, it was myself and uh, some of my friends and my cousin and stuff, and we would we would do all kinds of cool stuff, but the stuff that originally started making money was just, you know, we were messing around with, you know, custom furniture and sheet metal, you know, steel work and stuff like that, and, um, but, you know, I always had my cars on the side, it was just kind of my thing, and uh, eventually, you know, the cars took over, that became really my focal point, uh, when, that, when I decided it had to become a business, yeah. um, you know, the cars took over, and I had a lot of part-time guys that would come in, it was kind of me, and I'd have guys come in in the afternoons, and I'd, I had a lot of my friends in here and stuff, and, you know, everybody, you know, paid everybody a little bit of money, and everybody worked, we had a good time, and, you know, it was kind of very informal, and it was more like a, it was more like hanging out and partying every afternoon than it was really, you know, work, but we got stuff done, because it's just the nature of the, the people that we hang out with, or, you know, we just produce, you know, very blue collar, and, yeah. um, you know, 
know, enjoy working, enjoy performing and stuff like that. So we did get stuff done, but it was, you know, it was very much a hobby still. Or, you know, just kind of having fun and hanging out with our friends. And uh, we had kind of a neat crew and very talented people. And, um, you know, obviously as, as we, things got a little more serious and I started adding employees. And I remember the first time I hired a friend of mine full time, he left the, left the dealership and I uh, was doing pretty well there. And he came to work for me and he did some body work and, but, uh, genuinely was, you know, pretty, pretty talented with, you know, a jack of all trades, you know, he could weld and kick weld and, you know, he could troubleshoot cars and get things running and just, you know, just the nature of how he grew up was, you know, had, had a, was a generally talented person. So started with him, you know, so him and I basically had the ability to do about everything. Yeah. So I, I didn't have any one specialized person in the shop. It was just him and I that could, you know, basically do everything, you know, pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Cool. When was it that you brought him on? Uh, it was, it was within the first year, you know, so it was kind of like a, you know, people, a lot of part-timers coming in and out, and just me, and then I think within the first six months, we moved pretty quick. You know, I brought him on full-time, and, um, you know, went from there. Okay, cool. And how did it kind of, um, yeah, how did it kind of develop from there? So it was just, it was just you guys there, um, you two, like, working full-time. Did you, you still had a few part-time people as well, or it was just you two guys at that stage? Yeah, yeah, no, no, we had a lot, a lot of part-time people coming in and out, yep. uh, building a car, building a car as a feat, uh, and we did a lot of the work, but, you know, we still had our, um, you know, kind of our support staff would come in and out and, and help us. But they had day jobs. You know, Mob Steel was in no, in no financial position to, you know, hire a bunch of people. Uh, it's a tough business. It's not something that uh, you get into and, you know, you can lay out a business plan and go, okay, I'm going to hire this guy and this guy and this guy. I've seen a lot of shops do that. And it's, uh, it's just a, a formula for disaster. You know, they're just never around much. You know, you, you buy the big building and I'm getting these hoists and I'm getting an engine guy and a body guy and a this and a that. Um, it's a very difficult model to put on paper. Say this is this looks like it's going to work on paper. Get all these people in and make it work. It's just not one of those businesses. It's, uh, there's a lot of you know. There's a lot of just you know. I don't want to say magic that happens, but you know, a lot of times it's finding the right people and the right crew and the right customers. And you know, it's almost like creating a perfect storm. It's very difficult, um, you know, business to make money at. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, and lots of you know, very clinical, which I don't, I can't identify with that. I, I've never run a business that way. Yeah. So everything's always been, you know, very much uh, a passion for me or, you know, I, you know, the decisions I make are, you know, based on my gut instinct and yeah. you know, I don't have a, I don't have a massive, I don't have a PhD or, you know, this uh, crazy intellect, you know, I didn't go to, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I'm smart enough to run a business, but, you know, it's just not one of those businesses where, you know, I bring in uh, widgets and, you know, they cost me extra produce and this is my overhead and, you know, if I make this, you know, it's just not that easy. Yeah. So a lot of guys that get into it thinking, you know, I can get these builds in here and charge so much an hour and, you know, this and that. You know, we went through a section of our um, life of the business where, you know, we base um, stuff off of numbers and, and labor hours and, okay, we'll take on this many projects and we'll hire this many people. And, and we tried. We tried. We, it was just uh, the, the gross amount was big. You know, I mean, like at the end of the year, it was like, wow, we moved a lot of money through here, but that's all we did. Speed bump for money. It came in and went out, came in and went out. <laughs> and at the end of the year, you know, you find out, you know, you, you know, you may have broke even, you may have lost a bunch of money, you know, it was just a lot of hard work. Um, yeah. And it's a, very much a lifestyle business, you know, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Okay, cool. How have you kind of been able to manage that, that, that whole side of, um, yeah, still being able to like satisfy all the, all the customers coming through, but at the same time having the right, like the right crew and the right amount of people in the shop? The, uh, the crew is, the crew is something I think that has to happen organically. I think, 
Um, you know, you, you just, the people find you and you find the people. It's nothing that can be forced. And, uh, you know, you can try to hire the best person all day, but, you know, sometimes I thought I was hiring, you know, the right guy and he just wasn't a fit. And sometimes I, you know, thought, man, I'll just give him a chance and ended up being a superstar. You know, it's very strange the way it happens. <laughs> um, this is a business where, you know, some people think they're talented or they're not. And some people, you know, think, you know, don't think much of themselves and they're talented or, you know, it's just, it's it's crazy. I've had people come with resumes that were unbelievable, and, and uh, you know, they did, their performance didn't match their resume. And you yeah. know, it, it's hard to say. But Mob Steel is a little different. You know, Mob Steel for some reason was we were doing something different, and we, and we started to build this really neat brand. Mm. And you know, people wanted to be a part of the brand, and it, and it wasn't anyone in particular. It was just you know something that happened. You know, Mob Steel became you know it was an appeal for these guys that came in and worked here that were incredibly talented got some here now and we've had a lot of talented people come in and come out you know and mm-hmm. built the, you know now mom still has some very good resumes and, and went and got some great jobs yeah and, and i'm happy for those guys i've had some of my guys come to my office and say hey listen i gotta you know, this guy's headhunting me from you know a certain place and and i have to look at him and say take it i mean that's an amazing opportunity you know to work underneath this person or that person he's a legend you know or something like that yeah um so mom still just became this draw and uh, i don't yeah i can't put my thumb on it but <laughs> it's just the brand. The brand attracted super awesome guys, and and now we've got some of the most talented people. You know, I, I know for a fact I, I've got you know like my my painters. He, he's he's one of the best painters in the world. Um, yeah. Just because of his resume and just because of what he can do. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I got him. I don't know how I landed here. Him and I are like family now. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll be together forever. Yeah. But uh, he he's just the baddest, one of the baddest dudes on the planet. So <laughs> it's not that I went out and found him. Yeah. Uh, that just organically happened. So we're very fortunate. You know, yeah, that, that draw. Yeah, that that's so cool. When was it like? How many years into the business were? Was it kind of the brand? Was the brand at that at that level where you, like you were kind of attracting people to the to the business and you could kind of build that brand by then? Well, it took it took some time initially. You know, um, we were you know going to shows and hustling and uh, you know it was just it was the amount of diligence that we put forward from the beginning was, you know, we, we hustled, we worked hard all week and then we would, you know, have cars loaded up and you know, we spent our money on campaigning. You know, we were at shows with the trailer and the cars and t-shirts and, you know, it's not a, it was never a profitable situation to be at the show and stuff like that, but yeah. it was getting the name out there and getting the name out there. It was the same thing everybody else was doing. But when we got to the show, people thought it was cool. You know, a lot of people didn't get it. A lot of people were like, it was dumb or, you know, this or that, but a lot of people got it and it, you know, it just uh, it helped get the name out there, get it out, get it rolling. And, um, you know, then, then we started, you know, getting some, some larger clientele. So I would say, um, you know, the people that saw it at the show got it and got excited about it. But still, you only can make so much of an impact, you know. It, yeah. You know, you can only be on the road so much and, and see so many people. Fortunately, in Michigan, where we're from, uh, we have some big shows. I mean, uh, we can have a show on a, a three-day show. It brings in a couple hundred thousand people and, you know, six, seven thousand cars. Oh. So it's a, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty awesome, uh, uh, you know, opportunity that we have around here to hit a lot of people at once. So, yeah. Um, but, but we went to our grassroots shows too that had seven, eight hundred people at it and they had a ball there. People just, you know, and at some of those smaller shows, we were superstars at them after, you know, being in business four or five years. Uh, but we, we knew we were on to something and we were kind of like, you know, when is, when is somebody going to notice, you know, when, when, when is it our time? And, uh, it was just one of those deals where we had run into, um, you know, some, some, uh, some, some bigger companies and they started asking us, Hey, you know, would you mind showing up here and you know, having your car, you know, with us? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we got our first, 
you know, kind of big exposure was at SEMA. You know, we got invited to SEMA and we had a 65 convertible that was in the uh, DuPont booth. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we weren't vending or anything there, but we had a car there and it was sitting in the DuPont registry booth and that brings in a lot of celebrities, uh, you know, a lot of high-end clientele. Yeah. And, you know, we had an awesome car that we had built for a football player and he showed up and brought his wife and saw the unveiling of his car and it was just kind of a real turning point for it. We caught a lot of attention. Nobody really seen anything like it there. Yeah. And, um, you know, we ended up hooking up with a lot of companies like, you know, Magnaflow and some other people and just kind of seeing what we were doing and they got it, you know, they understood it. And then, uh, a, the year after that, we brought a, a car that really kind of turned Mob Steel around. Um, you know, it was kind of like a real, a really big launching point for us was the heavy hitter. It was, uh, when we started making cars for the athletes, it started bringing in some more talented people and it just kind of naturally started happening. You know, and then we just, we built this car that was surfaced and gapped and, you know, really had the opportunity or the budget to turn loose some of the talents we had here. You know, it gave us the time and money to produce something that we wanted to produce. Yeah. And the car was absolutely incredible. I mean, it was like, uh, you know, the guys that had their hands on that car were guys that built concept cars and, you know, cars that won Pebble Beach. And, you know, so now uh-huh. we're really getting to turn the talent loose and, and say, okay, now you've got, you know, a three months to do the body work, not you know, three days. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was, it was an opportunity to really get into doing some custom sheet metal work and expressing ourselves. And it was a car, a first car that I got to design, you know, exactly the way I wanted it. You know, and this is the way I would want my car. And I designed it from the ground up and we made all the changes to it and everything. And it was really the opportunity to say, okay, this is exactly what Mob Steel is. You know, this is what Mob Steel would do. You know, this is a Mob Steel car. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was a big success for us. Ford Motor Company saw it. Yeah. stopped those guys dead in their tracks. The designers all gathered around it. They knew what they were looking at. They knew what it took to put it together. And it was just like from that day forward, um, you know, we, we've had more and more doors open up to us. And um, it hasn't made, it hasn't made you know, the business side of it easier. It's not like somebody came in and started funneling money in the accounts and, you know, t- teaching us the right way to run the company. But um, it's those opportunities. But we hustled for those opportunities, you know, even when we built that car, I mean, we had that thing all over the country and, and you know, SEMA. And, um, you know, we were at the booths before anybody else was there. I mean, uh, you know, there's, it's just not something that we sat back and let happen. We made, you know, we forced it. We forced it to happen. We wanted it really bad and my guys wanted it really bad. And, you know, so we would show up, even when we were at DuPont Registry, we'd show up there at quarter to eight in the morning and the only other person there was Tom DuPont, the guy that owned the place. And he was just, you know, so it's little <laughs> things like that. That's a good example of how everything went for us. Is yeah. Here's the owner of DuPont Registry going, wow, you know, we, we left a huge impression on him, you know, because yeah. we're beating his people in and, and, and beating everybody else in and we're setting up and cleaning and, you know, jumping right over to his cars, cleaning the rest of the cars and everything and making sure everything's right because everything mattered to us. Every opportunity, every glance we got from somebody, every time a picture was taken, anything like that, Yeah, we took advantage of every minute possible opportunity. Um, and, and that's kind of a, you know, was the mentality we had. Um, if, if most people worked a 10 hour day, we worked a 20 hour day. If most people put a thousand hours into a show car, we put 4,000 hours into it. You know, it was just enough was never enough. And, it, and it's still that way. You know, I was here, I've owned this business for 12 years. I, I shouldn't be here. You know, I should be at home, but I was here till 2 a.m. because things needed to get done. And that's the mentality that uh, all my guys carry too. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, has, has helped us out too is, yeah. um, you know, we just, it's just the way we operate. Yeah, that's 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 an awesome mentality you've had since like the very start. Um. Yeah, it's, it's one of those deals where some guys can turn around and you know say, "Wow, I don't, you know, how, how are you here and how am I here?" Mm. And 
and I'm not saying I'm in any better position, but you know, if you and I both worked five years, I, you know, and you, and you put in an eight, ten hour day, well, I've got I've got five years on. I've already put in ten years worth of work. <laughs> you know, so yeah. so when when you're not when you when you don't have, you know, I'm not I'm not uh, you know I. I smartest guy in the world i'm not gonna you know operate on anybody or anything like that so i have to make up for it somewhere you know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, i just uh you know just put forward twice the effort and hope i'm not doing twice the amount of stuff wrong <laughs> what, what what were some of the first um the first few trade shows that you ever that you ever went to we went to um the first one of the first car shows i did with st ignis michigan okay and and uh it's a it's a show in the upper peninsula it's a, in a beautiful town it's right on the lake michigan and um, it was always a really big show that I went to as a kid. Uh, it's just, uh, it, you know, it was just something I, I knew it was a big car show. It brings in, you know, 150, 200,000 people. Mm. Um, and I just, you know, I knew I had to go to it. Um, and, and it's kind of like, I'm glad I made it my first show because it was a show I was always loved as a kid growing up. Uh, and it, it actually started uh, a long-term relationship that we have with uh, Steve Ryan, Steve-O, who works here now. Yeah. He, uh, his dad actually is, you know, put on that show. Okay. <laughs> and I met, and I met his dad, the first car show there. He got me a good spot and paid him for the vending spot. Yeah. We sold enough t-shirts out of the trunk of the car to clear the bar tab that night. <laughs> um, you know, that was about it. And, uh, but I got, but I've made a good relationship with, with his mom and dad who ran the show and they're great people. Yeah. And, uh, he kept telling me about his son. He's like, Oh, my son would love to work for you guys. I mean, you guys, his dad, like, instantly understood what we were trying to do and now his dad's like old school biker from detroit and <laughs> you know moved up to the up to get away from the madness but he saw he, he you know he knew what kind of people we are and he saw what we were what we were doing and what we we're building and he loved it um and a lot of times you need to explain it to older guys you know they don't get it they're like well why would you do that to a car what are you doing you know and he was just like oh man this is it this is my kid my kid's into choppers and bikes and everything but you know he's really a car guy i mean if he saw this and so um <laughs> I said, I want to bring him over and introduce him, you know, and, and uh, yeah. I, I met him for a fleeting second, and then the year later, the next year, at, at uh, he, well, he had stopped and saw me at Frankenmuth that same year, and then the next summer, he came out and talked to me a little more extensively at our second annual St. Ignis show, and then yeah. later on that year, he was, you know, all of a sudden, his kid's showing up like at every show I'm at, <laughs> and uh, next thing I know, you know, Ed, uh, who runs the show up there, yeah. him and his son Steve are at my shop, and I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, guys, you know, <laughs> And uh, he's like, man, my kid would really like a job here. Stop <laughs> telling me that. I'm like, man, you're pushing your kid on me. Just <laughs> fine. I go, just tell him to come on in. I go, crying out loud, you know, just uh, I'll put him to work. Just yeah. uh, send him in. Um, ended up being uh, incredible. He's just, uh, you know, he just didn't have any bad habits or nothing. It was like a clean slate. And yeah. he's just one of those guys that he's all in. He's all in. And he's just super talented. And, you know, that was eight, that was eight years ago. And, you know, now he's he's one of the best fabricators I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that, you know, <laughs> I've just I've, I've taught him I've taught him everything I know, and then he's taught himself a lot of stuff I don't know. So <laughs> you know, he runs everything, everything from CNC to uh, make fab, all that stuff. And then him and I and uh, my wife started uh, Detroit Steel Wheel together, which is another brand we launched. So he, we made him a uh, partner on that, and oh. uh, you know, he's a boss here and. Uh, he was here until 2 a.m. too. He doesn't, uh, that door doesn't, that door doesn't shut behind me at any time unless, uh, you know, he's always the last one out. So, you know, <laughs> it was kind of neat. We made that relationship from that first car show. So that first car show is pretty important to us. And, yeah. Um, you know, you know, it just seems like everything we did, we, you know, just made the best opportunity out of it. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and how how was it that you that you were able to get into the you got one of your cars into the Dupont regist- registry booth and, and showcase at SEMA? How did that kind of come about? Um, we had we had did um, uh, we had ran after we had sold the car. We sold the car to like Joe Johnson uh, or, or was it? I don't remember. Maybe Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson was going to buy a car or something. I don't know. We we kind of got onto this. Um, we put a car up for sale in the Dupont registry. I bought an ad. Okay. And um, it was like, you know, an instant reaction from a couple of the guys that worked there. They started calling me this guy, this, this kid named Vinny Russo worked there, and yeah. um, which, I, which I'm great dear friends with today. He's a really good friend of mine, and I really look up to him. Yeah. And he had called me and said, um, you know, man, I'm, I'm into these cars. You know, I, you know, he was just like, I fell in love with it. And I'm like, oh, kick ass, you know. And he's really the one that, uh, him and um, there was some, another gal there that worked there that I was, that I was good friends with, became friends with, and I... You know, we started doing some advertising with them, a little bit of advertising, but uh, Vinny wanted that car at the show, and, um, you know, so, you know, we took the car to the show, and um, it was it was a really good, it was a really good deal for us. It opened our eyes, you know, and I had been to see the year before, but not without a car. You know, I went and checked it out. I knew it was kind of a staple, kind of a big deal to be there, and um, yeah. you know, so that, that kind of, brought, you know, gave us that opportunity. Okay, cool. So you guys put, the, put that ad on the... DuPont Registry, and then uh, one of the guys there just, who was working at the DuPont Registry saw it and kind of caught you guys up, and that they saw what you guys were doing, yeah, and the, did, yeah, wanted to showcase the, you guys. Yeah, the, the ad, the ad we ran was just the car for sale, oh. and that that ad, that car that was for sale, yeah. was picked up as I can't remember this exactly, but I remember when it happened. We had we had a website up, Moscow website, yeah, and we had. Uh, you know, we were out hustling. We had, you know, whatever, 20 people visited the first month, and then it got like 70, and then all of a sudden we had like, we are up to 7,500, you know, unique page views a month. And my web guy was like, man, this is really good, and we were hosting it, you know, with him and all the stuff, you know, just, you know, he thought it was cool, and I got a phone call. Uh, we had ran ad to sell, because I had this car. I built this car, and I'm sitting on this car, and I'm like, I got to sell this car. It's before Christmas, and you know what I mean? I got to get rid of it. I need the money, and uh, I put it up for sale. I put it up for sale for like forty five grand. It wasn't it wasn't a whole lot of money. Yeah. Or fifty grand. And CNN money. Um so CNN ran a story called Eight Gift Cars for the Super Rich. Yeah. And one of the car and one of the cars they picked out of the DuPont registry was ours. Oh wow. <laughs> and yeah, so they ran that story in that month, all of a sudden my page views went from seventy five hundred to almost four hundred thousand. <laughs> and it was like that one month, my web guy was calling me. I, I'll never forget, I was at a wedding. He was like, dude, we, we need, we're, you know, we got red flags everywhere. This thing's shutting down. I need to, you know, you need to get a different, uh, you know, dedicated line and a dedicated server and all this. And I'm thinking, holy crap, that's, that's insane. You know, I'm like, okay, do what we got to do. You know, let's get it. I, I was so excited just that traffic. And it was just one of those things. We didn't know any of that, any of that stuff was going to happen. That's just, that's some of those neat things that just happened to you and you, you know, you get excited about. You know, we just, we happened to, I needed to get rid of my cars and I ran an ad in DuPont Registry and, you know, it was, it was so, it was cool enough. Nobody's seen a, a suicide doing Lincoln, you know, down the way we did it. Nobody customized them. They were old man cars, you know? Yeah. It was just, you know, people customized Mustangs and Corvettes, Camaros, Cudas. It was just something you didn't see. It was something you didn't see. So, yeah, it was, it was nice to have, you know, we did something that stood out and, uh, that was one of the keys to, one of the keys to our success is we've done something different. Yeah. Cool. And um, what, what would you kind of say has made the, um, I guess, made the biggest difference to, to how you've been able to grow and scale the business to, to what you're at now? Um, in terms of, I, I don't know, that's a, tough, that's a tough question because it could be, you know, in terms of exposure and the, and the 
branding and all that stuff. That's, that was, that's a big, big key thing in, yeah. um, in our success. And again, I, I don't know if you can just say, I'm going to build a brand. And, you know, the problem is everybody, everybody wants to do that. And, and I didn't yeah. do that intentionally. Yeah. Um, you know, I would have been named, you know, whatever, uh, you know, Evil Street Customs or Dark Horse this or, you know, whatever. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's just so, you know, there's so much of the same. It, it seems like the same thing over and over and over again. So, yeah. um, the fact that, the fact that we were different helped brand us, you know, so it was kind of a lot of things. But in terms of running the business, um, yeah. one of the things that, you know, really helped, uh, you know, it was tough. It was up and down and up and down. And it, it's like riding a roller coaster. Um, and, and the, the key is stabilizing your cash flow. I mean, yeah. You know, as we started to grow up and, you know, be adults and it wasn't such a game anymore, mm-hmm. it became, it became real. I mean, the more, and the more bigger the builds you're doing and the more stuff you're doing and, um, you know, you start to play on a pretty serious level and the consequences became, become very, very grave, you know, so you need to, you know, you need to start being more aware of what you're doing in terms of the professional side of it, not just playing and building cars and having fun. Yeah. You know, the, the, the side running the business became very real and, and a lot of that, um, you know, makes you, you know, once we realized we had to stabilize our cash flow, I mean, now we had some serious overhead, serious overhead. We got a, you know, big semi and this, you know, big 20,000 square foot building and all this stuff and all these employees and, yeah. you know, people are counting on you for paychecks and they've got families and, you know, your vendors rely on you and, you know, so you, so you have to make sure that you're healthy, you know, uh, um, you know, fiscally. Yeah. And um, the only way to do that in this business is to stabilize your cash flow. This business is known for taking people out because, you know, okay, this customer didn't pay and this customer didn't pay or, you know, I didn't, I didn't get this car to a certain point or, you know, now I got six cars in my shop and, you know, I, I got 20 grand each of them and I can't finish the projects because I'm cash poor and I can't collect. And, you know, it's the same stories you hear over and over and over again. And um, fortunately, uh, through some of the relationships I made and, and I had a chance to work with uh, um, uh, Chip Foos on overhauling and I've got to meet people like Jack and Troy Japan and, and all these other people in the industry who have had successes and it's not like they shared a business plan or anything with me but I really paid attention when I was around them and stuff and, and, and I've learned a lot of these things from these guys that you know some of their ups and downs and by just being, you know, talking to them and being frank and, and becoming friends with them, um, you know, they've given, given me some, you know, some tutelage in a sense in this business. Yeah. Um, my dad was a, was a business guy. My grandfather's a business guy, both my, my grandfathers. And so the nature of running a business, you know, they're really my mentors, you know, my parents and my family and, and ever all my family, my cousins, uncles, everybody's entrepreneurs around me. So yeah. I was raised in that environment. So I had the basis, but this, this business, if somebody's starting a custom car business, is very unique. Yeah. There's not, it, uh, the majority of those rules and all that stuff that somebody, you know, again, you can throw those right out the window because this is very much a lifestyle type business and, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, it's driven by a lot of other components. And um, so, you know, stabilizing cash flow ended up being a really a key thing in here. And, and how do you do that? And, um, yeah. you know, you just have to come up with, you know, basically a, a, a procedure you know, that says this is this is how we conduct business here and, you know, it has to be in writing and you know, there has to be contracts and you have to collect, you know, uh, you know, bi-weekly or monthly or whatever works for you, whatever your bank account says you can collect. You know, if you're sitting on three million bucks and you can you, know, you can fund six projects at a time, well, that's great uh, if you want to take that risk. But, um, you know, it's not a good idea. You know, you need to you need to say, listen, here's here's some milestones. Um, you're going to make a, you know, you're going to secure the, you know, the, you're going to pay for these invoices every so often. Yeah. Um, I'm going to perform, you know, and you basically make them feel comfortable and make you feel comfortable. And you have to build that relationship with your 
customer. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, building the car is tough anyways, because some, whether somebody's paying you 10000 or 100000 or 200000 or whatever to build a car, they expect, you know, if they're paying you two hundred grand to build a car, they expect a $200,000 car. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like you can charge them two hundred grand and build them a hundred thousand dollar car, you know, and, and make a hundred grand. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of these big projects at, at the end of the year you find out you've you've worked all year or a year and a half or whatever it may be, and um, you know, you, you basically walked away with little no, no money. You know, you basically worked for that lifestyle. Yeah. Um, these guys know what a hundred and fifty thousand dollar car looks like or a three hundred thousand dollar car looks like because they own them, and um, it, it's very very tough to compete against. Bentley and Maserati and Ferrari and all these companies, even uh, even more so, it's hard to compete against, you know, the Corvettes and the uh, GT500s and all these great cars that they can buy for $70,000, $80,000. These cars are unbelievable. I mean, yeah. the quality, the performance, the, you know, the, the, it's nuts. When you start to build a car, I always heard people complain and say, I don't know, you know, uh, that this is crazy, you know, 70 grand for a car. I look at it and I go, how do they build that car for 70 grand? <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you really look at the machine that produces, it's amazing. It's numbers and talented yeah. people and hardworking people that put together these amazing machines for little to no money. Yeah. So um, it's hard to compete against that, whether they're buying a Bentley or a Mustang or whatever. It's hard to build a, a street rod or something and say, hey, you're going to have 200 Gs into this thing. Yeah. It's, it's neat. It's badass. It's one off. It's, it's cool. It's a working piece of art. It's an expression, but I don't care what anybody tells you. You can buy a factory car. It's a hundred times the vehicle, you know. So that, that's what you, that's what you're faced against. You know, you're faced you're faced against competing against stuff like that. So yeah. And in terms of stabilizing cash flow in the business, has the hardest part been just um, just working and, and getting like regular payment plans with customers in place, or has it also been a struggle in terms of just having regular customers and having regular projects to work on throughout the year? Um, you know, when it was just when we were just working on cars before we got into parts and all that stuff, mm. the the good money came from the cars where they would come in and say, "Guy, I wanted to you know this or that or you know hey." put some air ride on my car, you know, we always make good money on that, you know, I've made a couple grand on that in a few days, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or a week. And, you know, where you work on a car all year and you were lucky to clear a couple grand. You're, you just didn't want to lose, you know, I, I didn't want to lose more than 30 or 40,000 because those big, big bills always ended up becoming uh, an identity for the brand, you know what I mean? Like, it, it ended up just saying, okay, this is, you know, this is representative of Mod Steel and these, you know, they all became brand builders, you know, at that point you didn't even care how much the car costs. I mean, uh, here's a guy that you know, an athlete that makes you know whatever 50 60 70 80 100 million dollar contract and and i'm dropping 30 40 g's of my own money in this car well it's the <laughs> opportunity i had yeah um so a lot of those jobs during the year those little jobs are the ones that really made the money you know we started fabricating suspension and some other stuff that was unique to the cars we were working on well as we made these cars popular and our brand got more popular people mm-hmm. wanted to buy our components that we were using on our builds you know so to get smart it's like okay well we developed a suspension that makes our cars look cool well now somebody saw a mob steel car they want to build a four-door lincoln well why don't we share some of the things that we do to them you know these are some of the staple things we do we always put these four links on we always put you know this type of thing here or there you know this is kind of like a mob steel thing we'll sell the, sell the parts to people so you know they may not be able to buy a mob steel car but they can buy the parts and yeah. they make their own and you know we started to figure that out and that helps too you know there was a lot of times where you know i didn't even know how i was going to buy groceries you know, let alone, you know, make payroll. I mean, I, and it just seemed like those parts always came through, you know. So it's always good to have a plan. You know, what 
you know, you're not going to go into business and, and sell 10, 20 grand worth of t-shirts the next year. You know, you need to be realistic. I mean, those are Cinderella stories. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you know, there's a lot of, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. A lot of the guys that get into this business, they, you know, it's for the wrong reasons or they just, you know, like, oh man, I mean, yeah, every, it's, it's great to dream, man. But, you know, the reality of it, it's a lot tougher. But, you know, we, we were just very fortunate that we had, you know, started to figure that out. You know, now we, we've launched uh, Detroit Steel Wheel, which is the new brand we have. And, yeah. um, you know, we're going to continue to do stuff like that. You know, we're just kind of getting older and a little wiser. And, you know, everything that we think is cool, you know, we, we take a chance and share it with everybody. And, you know, sometimes we've had products that people love. And we have products we sold three, four of them and just stopped doing it, cut our losses. Um, but, you know, the, some of the stuff that, you know, people liked and we had a good reaction to, you know, we're going for it, you know, because that's really where the money's made. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. I don't think a lot of people do know how much money you guys really do put into the cars when you do have like working on such a big project for a big client. Um, yeah, so it, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And when was it that you kind of just um, started building the part side of your business? When, when was it that you kind of transitioned to also having that extra revenue stream there in the business? Well, it was probably I would say maybe you know four years into it or so. You know, we started to. Yeah. You know, share some of the stuff we were working on and, and, and that was a, you know, that was trial and error too. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't like anything that was mass quantity. I mean, this is stuff that was, you know, was onesie, twosie here or there. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the car that, you know, the car that kind of, you know, was our car, you know, the Lincoln the Continental. Well, when we started doing it, nobody was doing it. And then after we did it for three, four years, it was still super limited. So, okay, I may, I may, I make some cool stuff for a Continental. That's great. That's like, you know, that's like, you know, selling ice in Antarctica. <laughs> you know, you get, a few, you get a few people that are interested, but, yeah. you know, it's not like it's not like I, I made uh, some revolutionary product for uh, a 67 Mustang. You know what I mean? Or a 68 Camaro. Yeah. Um, so there are some, there's some pros and cons. The, the pros are there may only be uh, 10 or 15 people interested in buying that, that product that year. Um, that's, a, that's the con. You know, I don't have... You know, a million people looking for a certain part. I got ten or fifteen. Yeah. The upside is, if there's ten or fifteen people looking for that part, they're going to buy it from me because I'm the only person that has it. Yeah. And you know, they're not going to get it anywhere else. And you know, they don't. You know, so it's a, it's a slam dunk. But unfortunately, it's a horrible business plan. Yeah. Uh, but you know, so then we realized that, like, okay, these, these products are a little specific. Yeah. You know, and that's where you know some of the other stuff comes in. You know. Okay, cool. And yeah, I'm just on your guys' Detroit Steel Wheel websites. It looks really, really professional, really cool. When did you launch this site? Um, you know, it was, uh, you know, probably a year ago. You know, the, the site just came, you know, site's a work in progress. But, um, you know, we've been working on the, we've, I've had this idea for the wheels for like eight years. Yeah. And, um, it was something I talked to Steve about when he first got here. I'm like, listen, I want to make these. Cause, cause I, I, I mean, I like, I like the aluminum wheels. I like different aluminum wheels. I like different looks. I think they belong on certain cars, but I always wanted something a little more organic because it, it always seemed like we would design these cool cars and everything. And, and when it came down to picking the wheels, it was like, okay, now, um, you know, this makes or breaks it. You know what I mean? What's out there? What fits it? Um, you know, and I, and I could kind of identify with some of the, um, quandaries that other you know, people would have when they're building cars in their garage or they buy a car and they want to put some wheels on it and stuff. Well, you know, it's just such a pain in the ass. One, you know, uh, for the Lincolns in particular, I realized that um, it's a big five-on-five bull pattern, the big body car, but yet really the only uh, affordable wheels out there are like a one-piece cast aluminum, and most of them are made for SUVs. So, 
they don't have the right offset. So it really kind of, you ended up putting, you know, stuff on your car that was kind of gaudy, you know, just didn't look good and all this. Well, when we started making, you know, higher dollar cars, I could put a forged aluminum wheel on it, you know, a multi-piece, you know, pay the three, four grand for a set of wheels and have a sweet looking set of wheels. But what about, you know, when I first started, when I didn't have the money or, you know, I didn't want to spend four grand on a set of wheels. What about then? Well, yeah. your choices are some pretty ugly stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I thought to myself, all I want is I just, you know, I just want to, I want something new, something that looks cool, but I wanted a big steel rim. I wanted a big, uh, you know, big smoothie. It looked real organic. And I ran some 17s on a car we called the OG. And, um, it was, uh, it's just a great look. I mean, it, it, everybody loves it. Um, but it's one of those deals where it may not cross a certain demographic. Well, I, I just, I knew that that 20 inch smoothie would just, it would kill it. And, you know, we put that 20 inch smoothie, we, we, it took us three years to develop it because one of our criteria was the fact that we wanted it wholly made. States. So total U.S. made product. Yeah. Um. It because of the because of our brand and what we stand for that that product had to be made in the U.S. So steel, all the dyes, everything. So we spent three years and we spent a lot of money um, creating this product. And um, when we came out with it, it, it did exactly what we thought it would do. You know, we threw it on a car, and it seemed like every you know old guy that uh, you know that decided they were going to build a street rod, they would get to the wheels and they wanted to update it, but. You know, there's nothing there for them, and they loved it. And all the way down to these these young guys, these young guys like you know the real pioneers of you know the trucking world and stuff like that. And, yeah. Um. You know, it, it attracted to them too because they said, "Okay, this is killer." You know, now I can buy a wheel that I can afford. It looks badass. You know, it fits the vehicle. You know, it just seems to be very universal. Yeah. Um. And it's really hard to go wrong. I mean, you can stick it on just so many different cars, and it's just you know, it's not one of those deals where it makes or breaks the look of your vehicle, or you know, it's just. It's just works and works and works well so we're yeah. pretty excited about that yeah no, that's so cool how you guys created something like that that can help so many people with yeah when they're looking for looking for wheels and it just it appeals to such a, a much wider audience yeah and it's not you know it's not like in your face crazy flashy but it's still in your face like when you see it you're like whoa you know it's, holy crap that's crazy looking you know yeah um so it has a really good impact but it's not you know after a second it's not it's not like a you know, you've seen some of those like crazy gaudy, you know, one piece cast chrome rims, which, you know, a lot of those are junk. I mean, they're, you know, they don't even, they don't even pass a torque test, let alone load testing and stuff. But, yeah. You know, so we just, we just wanted to, you know, we wanted to create, uh, create another brand, you know, that was, uh, kind of of the same, you know, nature as Mob Steel. Yeah. Um, you know, use Mob Steel as a launching pad. And, you know, these are just some of the things we have. A, I have a list, just a list of stuff of, um, you know, through building cars and designing stuff and, and, inspired by everything that's out there we have a list of products that we want to create and the wheel is one of them um so you know we're going to continue to add wheels to that product line and stuff like that we have a lot of other really neat stuff in the pipe you know that doesn't even pertain to wheels you know it's a totally different businesses so um you know we just kind of you know kind of as we get we get these ideas we're going to start executing okay cool and so what are all the services you guys are now providing to, to customers um we we actually um you know we actually used to be for a while there we had quite a few people here um you know, we were basically like a full-blown, you know, street rod shop where, you know, you can come in and get anything done. Yeah. Now, you know, once in a while, we'll, we'll work on cars depending on, you know, what, you know, what it is that needs to be done and stuff like that. But it's pretty rare. Uh, most of the vehicles now are, you know, we internally build. So, like, uh, you know, I may be working on a convertible. When I'm done with it, we'll show it and I'll sell it or this or that. Or, you know, we'll do builds for, like, Ford or somebody like that when we do the SEMA vehicle project with them. Uh, we just we built a vehicle for FedEx um, this last SEMA. So when we get approached with jobs like that that are very high profile, um, they're you know they 
uh, essentially, when we can do something with a company like that, it validates who we are and what we do. So when I align myself with Ford or, uh, you know, FedEx or Dynamat or JL Audio or any of these things, um, it's really validation of my feel and our credibility. So we usually take jobs like that, but we very rarely take in, you know, the you know, street rod projects anymore. They're mostly internal. Um, that way, that way we can build exactly what we want. Um, we can use those to help build the brand. Uh, for example, uh, we've got a couple builds coming up that, that are going to be for Detroit Steel Wheel. Um, you know, so we're going to do a F100 uh, Ford pickup that we're slamming and, and a wagon and a van, pretty neat stuff um, that we're going to take around. So, you know, it, it, when, when you're inundated with uh, building cars for athletes and entertainers and this and that, and yeah. you, you never really get to, um, you know, push forward with your plan. You know, you're always kind of building somebody else's dream. Um, and, and, that, and that's awesome, too. I mean, uh, you know, good, uh, 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 again, Foose is a friend of mine, and that's what he loves doing. I mean, like, uh, that, you know, he would rather have a customer come in and just, you know, make this guy's every dream come true, and, and he gets a kick out of that. And, um, you know, so there's, there's people out there that do that and do it very well. Yeah. Uh, Rad Rides is another one. You know, there's a bunch of them all over the U.S. There's a lot of talented people, and, but, you know, it's just it's something that's really not um, – we, we still do it, you know, don't get me wrong. We still do, you know, we still do projects here and there. We're just very selective. Okay, cool. So do you guys, like, have a, a back order of projects? Like, is, do you guys usually have, like, a waiting list for people? You just have, because you have, like, a fair few projects going on now at the shop? Or um... Yeah, we, we had, uh, you know, we typically, well, for a while there, we, we had about a two-and-a-half-year waiting list. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, that's kind of why that's kind of why we cut back on you know, taking uh, builds because it just, it became crazy. I mean, there were guys that would call, you know, like, you know, a Prince or this or that, or they just had to have Mob Steel build them a car. And I was like, well, you know, I really can't get in for a couple of years. And they're like, okay, I'll wait. Like, what? <laughs> what do you mean you'll wait? I mean, like, so, you know, how long does that waiting list to get? Um, you know, does it, does it, uh, you know, you end up cutting your nose off despite your face, you know, two or three years down the road. <laughs> that, that's, 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 so, that's so cool, though, that people and customers are actually willing to wait that long just because well, they wanted to get done by you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts, man. I'm just like, what? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard, you know. But they would, and then, you know, what do you do? And, you know, for two or three years from now, you know, we started finding out that, the environment might be radically different. You know, we may want a lot more money to work on the car. We may not have, you know, you know, certain resources or, you know, whatever. It's just, you can't, you know, who knows? It's, it's hard to predict where you're going to be. You know, it's just, it's too far to be out. And, um, <laughs> yeah. So if I, I just know if we have them done and we do what we think is cool, people are going to buy it. You know, you don't, you know, but you, you have to be able to fund it too, though. So it's a catch 22. I mean, it's, I couldn't have, I, I did a couple of smaller cars when I first got started. Mm. But when I, once I got customers in here, it was a lot nicer because they, you know, you can get them to pay for the cars being built. You know, I don't, especially if, you know, people start talking about building these crazy cars. I mean, you know, there's no way. I mean, I, I still, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to build myself a, a $200,000 car. And it's just not me. I'll, I'll build myself a $3,000 car, you know, yeah. bomb that around. I mean, that's fun to me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that does, you know, there's a give and take there. Okay, cool. So your, your guys' waiting list isn't so long now, but you guys are just really selective with who you actually do projects for. Yeah, I mean, I would love to build cars for everybody. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that would be like my dream, but it's just, you know, 
you have to decide what you know what what is what is it you know, what are you doing i mean uh, we we were we had we had taken on so many builds when we were trying to get we first initially were like okay we're gonna do this wheel i had so many cars and so many builds going on that you know that's your resources your time that's your that's your most valuable resource yeah and what happens was i would every little you know here and there i got i would try to work on the wheel project well yeah but my you know i was just i was every possible second and our resources and all the money, everything was tied up in trying to get these builds done. So, you know, what was really a brighter part of our future, we couldn't move forward on, you know? So there came a certain point in time where we had to take that risk and we had to go, okay, we're done. Don't take any more cars. We need to cut it off somewhere. So we have the time to, you know, finish launching these products and, and, you know, get into this, you know, launch this, you know, the church steel we wanted to get into. Yeah. It doesn't mean mod steel ceases to exist. It's just mod steel needs to stop consuming so much of our, you know, personal resource, you know, our time, you know, we don't, you know, so it was tough, you know, we, we took uh, what was, you know, we, we, we dropped, you know, basically started cutting out work out of our diet to create time to uh, create another brand and some more products that wasn't bringing in any money. So uh, yeah. that's a tough transition again. It feels like you're starting over, you know what I mean? And then yeah. once you get rolling, it's okay, take all of our money, you know, buy this and buy that and buy this equipment and cut these dyes and do that and get inventory and, you know, start to market this new brand and, you know, so you cut off your, you know, major portion of your cash flow to, you know, create time to invest in this other thing, which, you know, costs money too. So it's, it's tough. It's, it's a real, you know, but, but if, if you weren't taking risks in business and it wasn't tough, everybody would do it. You know, it'd be a simple thing to do. So did you, did you ever like think about maybe expanding mob steel, um, like when when you had such a like so many people wanting your guys' services, like moving into a, possibly an even bigger facility than you're currently in and employing more people, did that ever come across? Ever um ever think about doing that? Or well, we did, and uh, and, and and some people have been successful with that. Again, yeah, um, there's there's businesses out there that have a successful model, and we and we thought about that, and we we actually um you know we actually had hired more people and took on more bills, and there was a certain period of time in Miles Steel's career, which wasn't too long ago, that, you know, it was crazy. There was cars everywhere out here, and there's people everywhere, and it was like, it was nuts. And, uh, you know, we, you know, we just wasn't making money. I mean, it was, it's just such a hard money. Um, you know, it has to be scaled correctly. You know, you have to be doing projects that are profitable. Um, the nature of our projects, just, they're not profitable. I mean, every single piece has to be made by hand. But, you know, nothing exists for these things. And, you know, it's just, it's just a tough road, tough, tough road. And, and and maybe we just weren't, you know, I mean, you know, yeah, obviously we're still here, so, you know, we did something, right? Um, but we just knew there was a better way, you know, than that for us. Um, yeah. It's just nothing I wanted to do. I didn't, you know, I had one 20,000 square foot building full of people and cars, and um, I knew how much work that was, and I knew a potentially where it could go, and uh, it's just nothing that I wanted to not to do that, not to not to um, not to expand. Instead, build this other brand that you're working on now, which is Detroit Steel Wheel, and put all your kind of resources, um, more of your resources, into that. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mob Steel, Mob Steel, obviously, is still the parent company. It's a big brand, and um, I just, I just didn't see, I didn't see Mob Steel being a giant hot rod. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, Mob Steel built some really thick ass stuff, and it's going to continue to. And it's not like we quit one business the other just i just we want to do a lot of things and you know if it was just building cars that's all we would do you know we want to be a part of the car culture you know what i mean i want to leave an impact you know i want to leave a crater a mile wide and a mile deep you know what i mean not you know just some cars that you see yeah, yeah I, I want to 
you know, I want to be on all different types of cars and be involved in, you know, in all different types of things. And how do you do that as a company? Yeah. You know, you know, these trends, you know, trends are created by, you know, uh, people like us and people in the aftermarket industry. A lot of the people you're going to be talking to and a lot of the, the people that may not even have a business, but, you know, are into cars and building cars in their garage or thinking about starting a business or whatever, you know, those are all the people that create trends. And um, that's really the fun part, you know, is, is creating. Yeah. I mean, otherwise you would just, you'd buy the stock car and drive it. Yeah. Um, you know, so the aftermarket car industry, it is about being creative. And, um, for us, it's not always about, you know, creating the next model steel car. Sometimes it's about creating things that, you know, make other people's cars cool. And, like there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of fun doing and being on the phone with, you know, 60 different people and, and talking about everything from their 63 Beller wagon to, you know, their, their Chevy pickup, you know, their C10 pickup or, you know, whatever. I mean, uh, you know, we just had a Packard Clipper in here, a 52 Packard Clipper that we bagged for a guy and threw our wheels on and stuff and took it to a show just because he wanted to do it. It was just so cool. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's a lot of fun. I mean, as a car guy, I mean, I mean the more of that input conversations and, and uh, shooting the shit with guys on the phone about, you know, what they're doing and, and seeing other people's stuff, I mean, that's really what it, uh, inspires you. Yeah. No, it's no, it's really cool how you've got that vision to, I guess, just to try and help as many people as you possibly can with their custom car projects through what you're doing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and how big? How big's your crew now at the at the shop? Um, we're we're actually I've got us now at uh, oh let me see, there's uh, eight of us here. Okay, cool. Yep, it used to be more, but you know that was when we were like car heavy, heavy handed in the cars. But we're actually getting ready to go through another hiring spurt here. We got another building next door to us. So yeah. we've got two facilities now, and they're in the parking lot, so we're, we're taking over the block. Yeah. How, how, bringing down the neighborhood, <laughs> bringing down the neighborhood, as they say. <laughs> and how, how do you, how have you, have you kind of found that managing, I guess, going from just being yourself and then, um, then, then the two, then, then you two at the, at the, after that, and there's just a two of you working on the cars and now, now eight. And so how have you kind of found that managing, managing people and that in the business? Just learning learned as I go. And yeah. Nothing more. You know, I, I try to take, I try to take all the, try to take everything I've learned from, you know, my parents and my family and everybody like that and all my, and all the, you know, and all the, my mentors I had around me from guys that ran, you know, aluminum blanking companies and, and uh, friends of mine that ran stamping plants for Chrysler or do their own thing or, you know, I just, I try to take everything I've learned around me, um, take all that information, do the best I can. But, you know, unfortunately, you learn as you go. I mean, a lot of, a lot of lessons are learned financially. Yeah. And uh, those are the ones that really stick. You know, things that cost you money and, and uh, you know, beat you up and, you know, it's, you know, it's just uh, just over a period of time. You know, I just try to, try to go slow and, and I try to listen and learn from people around me and I, I uh, you know, I try to pay attention to, you know, what I'm doing. Is it a positive impact? Is it a, you know, is it, is it, is it something that works? Is it something that didn't work? Is it something that made money and didn't make money? And, um, you know, you just constantly have to be checking all your measurables. Yeah. And sometimes those measurables aren't money. Sometimes those measurables are, where was I at last month? Where am I at now? Not just looking at the bank account, but, okay, last month I was at a small car show and, you know, I had a bunch of people come up and, and, and then, uh, you know, six months later I'm, I'm standing in the, the DuPont registry booth at FEMA and then and six months later I'm here and then six months after that I'm standing here with four designers who are like, you know, these guys are my superstars, like, you know, Jay Mays and all these, you know, Melvin Bendecourt and Karen and all these guys all standing around my car, you know, digging my stuff. I mean, this is, this is crazy. Is my bank account changed at all? No, it might have even gone down. Yeah. But, you know, you have to, you have to look at the measurables. You know, what kind of impact are you making? You know, are you on the right path? Because um, sometimes that other stuff will come. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you got to, you 
got to have faith. You got to persevere. You got to be diligent. You got to do business with a certain amount of virtue. You have to leave a positive impact on people. It's a small, small industry. Um, when I first got into it, years later, I felt like the crowd, the company I was with, we're having dinners with people. We're having dinner with, you know, Epsil Ford, and we're hanging out, building cars with chip food, and this and that. And, and I realized, you know, I was like, whoa, how did I get here? But <laughs> then uh, years and years later, I figured out it's a small industry. Um, you know, you work your way up to the top of that pile. It's not a big mountain. It's a little hill. There's a few people standing there. So, you know, you got to be good to everybody. Um, and, um, you know, you, you just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, uh, you just have to pay attention to what's going on and, and how you're treating people and treating your vendors and, and treating your customers. And, um, you know, it's a great journey if you make it a good journey, you know. <clears throat> but if you, measure, you know, check those measurables, check those signposts, you know, make sure you're heading in the right direction. Make sure you're getting the feedback you want and, you know, keep your head down and work hard because the rest of it will come. You know, I mean, uh, you know, eventually someday that, that cash flow stabilize a little bit when you get smarter billing and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and you make your jobs a little more profitable and, you know, it's, uh, you start to figure it out. Yeah. Oh. Um, I mean, if I can, do, if I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> and, and, the, and the other thing too is you can't be, you know, you can't be afraid of anything. I, I, I think I say almost every day, almost every day, I'll say to somebody, my ear, my shop, or something, and I, and it's just, it's more so to remind myself that if it all ends tomorrow, I, I was all, it was a great ride. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to know that that risk is is always hanging over your head. You know, and you can't be afraid to push it right to the right to the edge. Cause, you know, you only get out of what you put into it. You know what I mean? So, you you know, if you wanted to just move a little bit, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm okay with letting it all hang out because, like, the returns are so much greater. But you have to know that the risk is great, too. You know, that you have to be okay with the fact that, you know, if you if you let it all hang out and you push it to the max, that it could all go away the next day. It could all be gone. But, you know, what do you want your journey to be like? You know, do you want it to be, a, you know, you have to do, you have to go for it sometimes if you want to get, you know, if, if you know what you want out of it. Yeah, yeah, I love I love your whole philosophy on yeah the, the whole business, the whole business side, the industry, how it all works. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I, I was going to ask you, do you have a favorite project of all time that you've worked on at all? What's that? Uh, do you have a favorite project of all time? It's always, it's always. I, I couldn't grab one. Thing, yeah. um, and this is why, because it's not about the finished product. Yeah, I've had some, I've had some finished products that you know I've loved, and I've had some that that were okay, you know, but all of them. The next project is always better in terms of the finished product because you learn more. You know what I mean? Yeah. The budgets get better. You, your team has grown together. You, you've all perfected your, keep perfecting your craft as you go. That never stops. Um, and, and so it's, it's, I can't pick one. You know what I mean? I don't pick, I don't pick based off of the finished product. Um, I, I just know that each one of them, uh, was a different journey. Uh, you know, whether it's the FedEx build we just did, which was unbelievable. The amount of hours, time and the engineering and you know, we built that Scratch frame suspension, you know, the body. I mean, every, everything was done scratch. It was a concept. It was an incredible journey. It was a very, very tough build. Yeah. I don't think we've ever pushed ourselves that hard. Um, <laughs> I slept 11 hours the last week. Uh, <laughs> nine, week nine weeks before that, we were working 20 on and eight on. Oh, wow. Um, so, and that was a little trick I learned from Chip. And, and it was it was intense. And we've had some intense stuff. We've stayed up three days straight finishing cars. We've been working on cars and trailers on the road. It's just crazy things. And <laughs> and what it boils down to is, you know, you can see it happening. Where I'm, I'm telling a story about this one, and then it's this, and then it's this. And, yeah. you know, the car and the trailer where the door came open, and we had to fix it before it rolled into Atlantic Convention Center. And all the journey. I can't choose between the two because every build has had such a unique journey and its own challenges. And, 
Yeah. Uh, it's own up and ups and downs, and, and that's what makes it exciting. Uh, when that thing gets on a trailer or gets to the show or gets to the customer's house, it's almost like the prestige, you know, for uh, for uh, uh, you know for a magician. You yeah. know, it's the prestige for the car guy. It's that journey and the prestige at the end when you pull it off and you go boom, you know. And <laughs> it's crazy, man. Everybody's just like can't believe that you actually pulled it off or you know you made it happen or. It's almost about the monumental challenges that you face, yeah, and the character builds. You know what I mean? It's so much. It's so much. It's so much more important than the finished product itself. Yeah, I can't even. I can't even <laughs> explain to you. Uh, it, it sounds sounds stupid, but that's what it's about. Yeah. And that's what it's about for everybody in this building, and they'll tell you that it's about it's about the challenges they face and the character builds, and it's about the journey. And in every single vehicle has been unique and we have to back and laugh and tell you about the, the shittiest parts of the build and <laughs> how you know it's just like it's when everybody else would throw their hands down and go dude it's over <laughs> like you know how, how are we how are we going to fix it yeah and you do you just go okay where do we go from here do this do that you know we've had this tragic thing happen you know do this whether yeah. it's people dying in the middle of the builds or uh doors getting ran over uh, on platform vehicles that don't even exist. I mean, like, you run over a concept door, and then you're looking at the door going, well, it's not like I go to the shop. And it's not even a job one vehicle. I can't even go buy a skin for it or nothing, you know? I got to make one from scratch. And it, it makes you, as a person, go, okay, nobody's going to help you. You have to uh, now fix it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it builds character. You know, at the end of it, you're like, wow, I can face a bigger challenge the next time and a bigger challenge the next time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's really the dividends that are being paid. It's, it's, it's hard to pick. I mean, they've all been, they've all been very cool. You know, you have different people, you know, on some of them that, that aren't with us anymore that we worked with or, you know, different challenges or, you know, different outcomes. And, you know, so it's really not about the product. You know, the, the product's cool. I mean, you always want the product to be perfect, and, but you'll never have a perfect product. Yeah. I, I mean, I have, I have a friend that, I had a good friend of mine, JF, that just built a, a Riddler car, won the Riddler. You know, it's a 68 Ribby. Yeah. That's unbelievable. It's over the top. I've known him for eight years. Yeah. And um, I can tell you every one of his vehicles had something wrong with it. <laughs> you know, because he would point it out. But, you know, it'll, that those little aspects and all stuff, it'll never be perfect. Even a guy like him who operates way on the other side of the line, builds things that are way out of control. The detail, to me, is like, is it really worth it? You know what I mean? Uh, it's incredible. The stuff he builds is incredible. But even for him, he'll tell you, you know, ah, uh, you know, I, I, I could do this, that, and this, and that. Well, it'll never be perfect, you know? So it's, it's really not about, you know, the, the finished product, you know, to me. Yeah. You know, I, I realize that even at a, even at what level is it perfect? It's never perfect. Yeah. You know, so I, it's hard for me to pick a vehicle based off of that. So yeah. if, I, if it boils down to the experience, I really couldn't, you know what I mean? I, I'd love to give you an answer, but we've had some neat stuff. I mean, we've had, you know, the X, F650 that, that we did was really cool. It was kind of something different for us and, yeah. and showed people that we're very creative, you know, outside the box. Uh, the Flex Project with Ford was our first Ford show car. Uh, it was insane. It was like a concept vehicle. They took it all over to the, the auto shows, you know, North American Auto Show yeah. in Detroit here, uh, the International Auto Show, yeah. uh, LA, Chicago, you know, and they've had a bunch of our cars to wear. So as an aftermarket vehicle builder, to walk in an international auto show and see my vehicle sitting in a major Ford booth, you know, an OEM uh, company like that. Yeah. The, no, dude, I can't even <laughs> tell you the feeling. <laughs> um, you know, as a car guy. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've never seen that. We've, we've done things that I've never seen other car, car builders do, which is like some of these opportunities we've had have been so unique and so awesome. And, you know, uh, to walk in the, the Hall of Fame, Automotive Hall of Fame in, in Dearborn mm-hmm. on Ford's campus, walking in and see my car sitting in the lobby, <laughs> you know, it's just something I would never, I would never imagine. You know, I've never imagined it. So sitting, you know, sitting at the dinner table with these designers and that's a Ford, you know, some of my heroes. 
being able to work on a car with this guy or that guy or, or just things I could have never fathomed. Yeah. Um, so it was awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you you hustle so hard, like for every project, and to get that build like just right for the customer. And it's so and it's crazy because like when uh, you told me what you were doing, you were like, "Listen, I'm you know I'm gonna try to you know let people and what it takes to run these business and be in a business like this and expose them to some of the inner workings." I was all for like talking about it because I'm gonna tell you something. When I got in this business, it was like a black hallway. Yeah. You know, I knew I was headed in the right direction, but I had no guidance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even guys that are in the industry, you know, they can give me some tutelage, but there's no business plan for it. Yeah. I had guys call me and go, hey, can I share, can I get a copy of your business plan? I want to, I want to start this business. And I would just laugh. <laughs> like, I don't have a business plan. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I hit, I hit shit with a hammer for a living. I'm not, you know, I don't have a business plan. Yeah. I'm just hoping I can keep getting away with this for another, you know, month. <laughs> another three months, another six months, another year. I'll take whatever I can get. And that's the same way. I'm still the same way today. It's like, I don't have a business plan. I'm just. I just hope I can keep creating and hitting shit with a hammer for another year. <laughs> you know, that's all I care about. Yeah. <laughs> so this is kind of the way it is across the board. You know, and nobody really has specific information that's going to help you, you know, establish a business and this and that. And, yeah. You know, my thing is, is like, you know, if I, if I get professional licenses, you know, take people out of cash flow and, you know, don't have payments. I don't, you know, I just, I just grow uh, to where my cash dictates me. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't net 30. You know, I try not to have any accounts. I try not to have any, you know, any bills. I mean, yeah. You know, it's just do do what we can do. And, you know, I know there's, you know, probably that opportunity to, to grow faster or start more projects or this or that, but I'm just not there. You know what I mean? That, that's not something I do right now. Yeah. And I, know, I know you mentioned before that you, you, when you guys were working on the FedEx car, you said you were putting in like 20 hours just on the on the build and everything like that. And you, uh, so, you did, so you mentioned SHIP teach you something in relation to just being able to to do that in like in relation to yeah yeah i, I actually i actually had talked to you know i at that time i had worked like you know i would work you know chip and i were sharing war stories because chip is a booth is the real deal that dude will work and work and work and work <laughs> yeah I, mean, like, I thought when i first went out to uh urban california on texas to work on a tv show with him yeah i thought you know he may be talented dude, he may have all the stuff but i'm like this you know, I grew up in a shop. I'm a hard worker. So that's one thing he won't have on me, dude. I would destroy him. You know what I mean? I'm a <laughs> warlord when it comes to working. Like I'm, I just, I just don't stop. You know yeah. what I mean? I can, I can just power through and, and work like a madman. Just was raped like that. My dad was an insane worker. My dad could work and work and work, and he just like he kept looking at the, you know, the goal he had. Like I got it. I want to get this done. I want to do this. I want to do that. And just like he would just keep boarding forward, and nothing stopped him. Yeah. Not only physically, and, and I just that's the way I was raised. And I thought I was going to work chip under the table. And <laughs> I, I couldn't be more wrong. I mean, that guy. <laughs> I mean, he didn't. He left when I left, and would show up when I show up, or he beat me there by fifteen minutes. I'm like, this dude's pissing me off. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, he's he's amazing, and I get, I got a lot of respect for him, a lot of respect. And uh, so him and I would share stories. Yeah, yeah, I remember when I worked fifty six hours getting this done, and you know, finished the headliners, we're pulling on the trailer, and then he'd tell me about. Oh, I remember when I had the illusion, and I pulled it out, and the hood went like this, and I'm grinding this out of the hood, and I worked forty hours straight. <laughs> he started sharing these stories. Well, he told me he came up with a formula. So yeah. he did the first uh, ride TV show. Um, he was working on that, the Speedbird, the Thunderbird that he did for rides. Yeah. And this was kind of his first TV exposure. This is what led to overhaul and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, he did a show with Bud Grossman, um, called Rides. He did this, and he had only a certain amount of time to get it done. So he told me that's where he got this formula. He goes, I sat down and I figured if I worked 20 and slept eight, worked 20 and slept eight. And, um, he shared this with me and it worked. It works, dude. I can do it. 
because I know that I can work as hard as he can. And he had this formula that works. So I'm like, dude, it, it's a great formula. Works great. Work for 20 hours straight. Stop, crash for eight because you're so tired. It doesn't take long to fall asleep. You wake up and you can just like, it's like this cycle that you can keep. It's like being at an all-you-can-eat buffet and taking, you know, a 45-minute break between trips. You can just go nonstop. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> how long? How long? How how long can you sustain it for? Is it is 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 it sustainable over a long period of time? Is it something that you do can do over one to two weeks? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's sustainable for everybody, but <laughs> yeah, it works for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I cool. mean, uh, you know, it works for him. It works for me. I, I don't know how many people work for me. We you know we put a lot of people into the table here. You know, we start working. And there's a lot of people that just you know physically. I've seen people falling asleep. Uh, you know, sanding like you know little <laughs> pieces of CNC machine going like they're sitting there doing it and, and next thing you know they're out cold the piece is like a foot below their hand but their hand's still moving like they're sanding <laughs> you know what I mean sitting in a chair just out cold I've seen some of the craziest stuff when <laughs> you push yourself that hard um, but like with the FedEx project we didn't have a choice Yeah, I mean we were finishing that thing we were two hours late leaving but we were finishing it on you know as it was being loaded I mean it was insane and uh you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. I mean, you don't have a choice. I mean, we had, we were supposed to start that really be full force on that project June 1st. We didn't start until the last week of August. You know, the very end of August. It was like the first week of September. Um, yeah. so, you know, basically I had 16 weeks worth of work to do and, you know, more than that. Yeah. Uh, 27 weeks worth of work to do in nine weeks. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that, that, that's so cool. Your, your crew will, like support you and, and 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 do that and just work through it until you guys can just get get it done. Yeah, they're badass. They're, badass. <laughs> they're, they're unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And I was I was going to ask you, do you have a favorite make and model of car that you enjoy to drive yourself at all? I mean, I'm you know I'm a I'm a big body car guy. I mean, I enjoy performance vehicles too. Don't get me wrong. I I love thrashing on some some hot rod, but um, I mean, I drive uh, my my daily. You know, during the summer right now, it's a 67 uh, Continental two-door. It's bagged out. on some 20-inch dealings. Yeah. Very raw. Oh, I got a big, uh, I got a big Lasonic boombox in the front seat. Oh, you know, cool. From, uh, the 80s. Yeah, yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, you cool. Know, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I drive all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, people, when they come here, they're like, which car is yours? I'm like, that one. They're like, no way. <laughs> which car is yours? It would, it would shock you. Dude. It could be, it could be an old wagon. <laughs> it could be a uh, 72 country square wagon with sides. It could be anything. I, I just, I just have fun, man. I just have fun with whatever I drive. And, and uh, I don't know if I could pick a car. I always thought I could. I always thought like a 64 Continental was my ride. I'm like, dude, I, you leave me with anything. Leave me with a 64 Suicide Continental, which still may be the case, but yeah. I've, I've really gotten a kick out of just, you know, driving all kinds of stuff. And, you know, my ride right now is that two door. I'll probably bang that again for the summer. We have a, we have an old school truck slammed out. We had a wagon and we just got rid of a Mopar wagon we sold and yeah. I'll probably get another wagon. So I'll be able to, you know, haul the kids around in it. Cool. Um, I may even do, may even do like a, uh, you know, an international travel all slam that or something so I can put the kids in it this summer. But yeah, who knows? Who knows? I, I like different. I'm a, uh, I'm like one of those guys that like has obsessive compulsive disorder. Like I'll decide one day I need a certain car yeah. and I will go crazy till I get it. I'll find the, you know, whatever. I I need a '65 Caddy. I'll go crazy until I get a '60. Then, then when I get it, I get it the way I want it. I'm over it. Like I'm just <laughs> over it. Like in a second. And I'm I've already moved on to the next thing. You know, I need a ramp side. You know, Corvair ramp side pickup. Or you know, I need an over window bug. Or you know, I mean, I just like I'm all over the map. Yeah. Um, you know, something may catch my eye. It doesn't. You know, 
but I, you know, I think I'm a, I'm kind of a big body guy. It kind of represents who I am. You know, I like that. I like that big menacing. You know, Detroit Steel. Uh, you know, street car. You know, just something. You know, something that's uh, a little scary looking. You know. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'll... I can't picture myself getting out of a bug every day or you know out of something a little girly like that. But <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I think they're cool. I mean, I love a 23 window VW boss, but I'm not a hippie. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't fit my personality but i still think they're off yeah you know but i, I just you know you know climbing out of the climbing out of the suicide door continental or a <laughs> you know big body car like that you know suits me a little bit better yeah i think i'm i think i'm like a huggy bear at heart you know what i mean like a, <laughs> yeah it might be like an inner city pimp or something <laughs> and um yeah how, how can so yeah how can people find you guys if um if they're looking for you guys and i guess if they're looking for for steel wheels um yeah, how can how how can people find you guys? Um, uh, just Google it, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> isn't that what we all do now? Google yeah, that shit. <laughs> we can uh, you can find us at uh, you know mobsteel dot com. Yeah, DetroitSteelWheel dot com. Cool. But obviously, but obviously, if you Google it, there's so much information out there, man. I, there's more information on Google than I even know I have. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, you type in mobsteel, you'll find the steel wheel stuff. You'll find you, you know just pages and pages and pages. Of yeah. What an amazing tool. That's <laughs> been, uh, revolutionary. You know, the world as we know it. Oh, and, and I think we're 25 years today, right? Birthday? Today's the internet's birthday? 25 years? Really? 25 years? Yep. Oh. I think it is. <laughs> 20, 25 years of the internet. Today. Oh, I didn't even know that. Cool. <laughs> yep. And it's packed full of mobs, steel history, so. <laughs> and how's up? So it's all for sale, right? You're, it's like, you guys have uh, you're in full production of the of the steel wheels and it's like everything's for sale there on the site yep yep and uh we're trying you know right now we're just the only battle we're fighting now we're, we're up and running at the new building running everything's going good uh yeah yeah you know, we're just trying to stabilize our inventory that's that's the one only issue we have right now so um uh, you know we're, we're bumming some of our customers have to wait uh so, yeah uh, but we're remedying that situation you know so we're figuring out you know it's hard it's hard to predict it's hard to predict what's going to sell what's not going to sell Start to predict when a customer is, is going to have, uh, you know, is going to have uh, your parts to you on time or not on time that month or, you know, where the lead times need to be. Uh, you know, so we're figuring out as we go. We're starting to become a professional business here. We have a inventory tracking software, CRM management stuff. We've got setting up some more desks and some sales offices. And, you know, we're making the adjustments as we go, baby steps. And, yeah. Oh. You know, and uh, the big thing is, the big thing is, you know, we want to, we want to really provide that level of customer service. Uh, you know, Henry Ford said it best when, um, he said, if you, you know, if you've got customer service down, uh, the only thing you'll have is embarrassingly large profit. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Auto Entrepreneur Podcast. If you like what you've heard today, make sure to subscribe to the Auto Entrepreneur Podcast on iTunes to get access to every interview we do with the world's best auto entrepreneurs. Go there now and subscribe, and we'll see you next time.